today on Adventures in Faith with Jerry Savell. My goal is to live in the maximum. No limits and no boundaries. And if you're willing to press for it, then God will make it happen for you, no matter who you are, no matter the color of your skin, no matter your background, no matter what your family was like, no matter how you were raised, God will make it happen for you. Philippians chapter 3. Verse 13, the latter part of the verse says, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. And the next verse says, I press. Forgetting those things which are behind. Forgetting how you've lived your life in the past. Don't, don't try to bring that into the present and don't let it hinder the future. Forgetting those things which are behind and realizing there's something better that God has ready for you that's in your future. So keep your eyes focused on that. The word press means the act of stretching forward with urgency. This is how uh, the book of Hebrews describes the Old Testament patriarchs and their attitude about the promises of God. Hebrews 11 verse 13 said, having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them. They could see the promises afar off and they embraced them and they were persuaded of them. One commentary says they were looking for something better and were willing to pursue it with everything that was in them. And they pressed, like Paul said in Philippians chapter three. Verse 35 from the Amplified in Hebrews 11 says, they became stalwart. Stalwart means loyal in their faith and unwilling to back down no matter what. Are you stalwart in your faith today? Loyal to what God's word says, no matter what's happening around you, unwilling to back down no matter what. Looking back at what Paul said in Philippians 3, the message translation says, I've got my eyes on the goal I'm off and running and I'm not turning back. My goal is to live in the maximum. No limits and no boundaries. And if you're willing to press for it, then God will make it happen for you no matter who you are, no matter the color of your skin, no matter your background, no matter what your family was like, no matter how you were raised, God will make it happen for you. Can you say amen? Give the Lord a shout if you believe it. Praise God. Amen. The Passion Translation says, I forget the past as I fasten my heart on the future. I forget the past as I fasten my heart on the future. And I press. Pushing past your previous limitations. Amen. I've always enjoyed reading about people not only in the Bible, but in the secular world. I've always enjoyed reading about people who just wouldn't accept the status quo and people that, that were determined that they were not going to allow uh, their backgrounds or the color of their skin or how they were raised 
to keep them from pursuing what they believe God wanted them to have Amen. and God wanted them to do. Amen. I remember when I was a, a young boy living in Shreveport, Louisiana, uh, back in the 50s, a bunch of us boys would be out in the backyard. We, we lived on a, a, a country road and uh, most everybody had at least an acre of ground and, and a lot of us uh, young boys, we'd go to one another's yard to play football or baseball and, and we'd get a whole gang of guys and most of the time they'd wind up in our backyard and, and we'd, we'd be out there playing football and baseball or whatever and all of a sudden we'd hear this loud noise, just boom and none of us knew what it was. And boy, it'd stop you in your tracks. I don't care what you were doing. It'd just stop you immediately. And uh, we didn't know what it was. And it, it, it began to happen more and more frequently. And we found out that uh, because there was an Air Force base, a Barksdale Air Force Base near Shreveport in Bossier City, and it was a strategic air command, that somebody was breaking the sound barrier. And that's what that sonic boom was all about. How many of you remember in the 50s hearing the, that sonic boom? And boy, it happened frequently. And then, then we'd get out in the backyard and we'd just sit and wait for it. And boy, that thing would go off and then we realized somebody just broke the sound barrier again. But it was not the first time it had been broken. It actually was broken in 1947 by Captain Chuck Yeager. And Chuck Yeager had been a... a, a a test pilot and one of the best in his day. And he was selected to fly the Bell X-1 in an attempt to break the sound barrier, Mach 1. And he tried, and some of you may have seen the movie, The Right Stuff. It depicts this and it's one of my favorite movies. And, uh, and he tried and, and, you know, the airplane almost come apart when it was trying to reach that, that milestone. And, uh, but eventually he broke the sound barrier. He did Mach 1.06 in October of 1947. And then after that, others began to break it quite frequently. I had the privilege of meeting Colonel Chuck Yeager by this time in 1986 at the Indy 500. Every year they would uh, bring in a celebrity to drive the pace car. And uh, the... Uh, Marion County, Indiana Sheriff's Department had made me an honorary deputy sheriff. And so I would get to go to the Indy 500 and uh, the, the Sheriff's Department would pick me up at the airport and take me to the 500 and uh, allow me to be in the, the garage area before the race, meet drivers. In fact, I've got pictures of me putting fuel in Mario Andretti's car. I got to spend time in the garage with A.J. Foyt and, and got to meet a lot of the drivers. And uh, every year when I would go, they would, they would add something to what I got to do that I didn't get to do the year before. I mean, one year they allowed me to, uh, to get in one of the previous uh, cars, uh, a winning car from one of the previous Indy 500s. And one year they put me in, uh, I think it was a 1927 automobile and towed me to Gasoline Alley. And I knew that the pace driver uh, or the guy that's going to drive the pace car that year was going to be Jay Leno. And so I'm, I'm being pulled up there in this 1927 
Indy racer that had won the race that year. And Jay Leno is standing there in the pit area. And when they come to a stop, Jay Leno walks over to me and he says, is this the car I'm supposed to drive today? I said, I'm in it. <laughs> he said, uh, I, I thought this was the car I'm supposed to drive. I said, well, I don't know about that, but I'm in it now. <laughs> now, I knew he was supposed to drive it, but I've just, I thought, well, he's a comedian. I'll, I'll work with him, you know? Because <laughs> sometimes I can be a comedian, you know? And so I just kept pulling his leg, so to speak. And he said, well, they sure, they, I thought this was the car I'm supposed to drive. I said, it is, they allowed me to drive it or be towed in it uh, to, the, to the pit area. And uh, this is the car you're going to get to drive a lap around and then they're going to put you in the pace car. And so that kind of struck up a, a, a limited relationship. But he did invite me to come and see his, his classic car collection, which he has about 200 in his classic car collection. I never have gone to do it, but I but, uh, would like to sometime. But anyway, every year they would, they would add something to this uh, that I didn't get to do the year before. And so this one particular year, Colonel Chuck Yeager was the pace car driver and I got to meet him, got to spend a, a limited time with him. And I asked him, I said, uh, driving 200 miles an hour about, around in the Indy 500 racetrack probably seemed real slow to you, didn't it? He said, yes, but it was fun. I like speed of any kind. And so, you know, he's used to going Mach 1. And now he's limited to 200 miles an hour. <laughs> Poor thing. <laughs> Only 200 miles an hour. But he broke the sound barrier back in 1947. And once again, as, as young boys, we could hardly wait to hear that sonic boom go off because we knew somebody else just broke the sound barrier. Now, I don't know if you realize it or not, but I too have broken the sound barrier. Go ahead and touch me, Kenny, it'll be all right. <laughs> How did you do that, Brother Jerry? I flew the Concorde. No, I flew in it. I didn't fly it, I flew in it. I was coming back from Kenya one time, Nairobi, and uh, when I got to London Heathrow, I still had an eight-hour layover before I could fly to JFK and then a four-hour layover before I could fly from JFK to DFW. So when I got to London Heathrow, I'm walking down the terminal, and I saw this Concorde off to the right. And I stopped at the gate, and I said, where's that Concorde going? They said, JFK. I said, when's it leaving? In about 30 minutes. I said, you got a seat left? Got one seat. I said, can I change my ticket uh, to get on this? They said, well, it'll cost you some more. I said, I'm willing to pay. I want to, I want to fly the Concorde. So I got to sit in the bulkhead, the first seat. And they have a mock meter in the bulkhead. And so I'm sitting there. And when they took off, uh, we were flying, reaching an altitude of 60,000 feet. And uh, eventually the captain came on and said, ladies and gentlemen, we're about to break the sound barrier. I'm going to kick on the afterburner and you might feel a slight jerk. I forgot there were, there were other people on this plane, and I said, jerker, man, jerker. <laughs> <laughs> we broke that sound barrier, Mach 2. Oh, man. 
It took a week to get my hair to lay down again. <laughs> Mark 2. Now, when Carol and I first married, of course, I, I grew up on racetracks. My dad raced, and I was always into speed. And once again, I'm talking horsepower, not drugs, okay? <laughs> I don't know anything about that kind of speed. You'd have to ask Jesse DePlantis about that. As I've said before, Jesse took trips all over the world and never left his living room <laughs> on speed. But anyway, uh, eventually I was able to acquire a 65 GTO. And the 64 GTO is the car that started the muscle car era. So I had a 65 GTO. And that 65 GTO with three deuces and a four-speed 389 it was capable of doing 100 miles an hour in about 15 seconds in a quarter mile. Now, that was fast, I thought. That was fast. But I was privileged to watch Kenny Bernstein at the uh, Gator Nationals in Florida go 100 in a quarter mile, 301 miles per hour. He broke a barrier. Nobody had ever done that before. 301 miles an hour in a quarter mile. And if you had been standing there and you, you took your ear protection off, the sound of that engine, your heart pounded. And you put the ear protection back on just as quick as you could. 301 miles per hour. He broke the barrier. And since then, they break it nearly every drag race. Or they do that amount, 300 miles an hour. That's, that's nothing now today. It seems like every time a barrier is broken, then others come right behind it and just keep on breaking it. God has called you and I to be barrier breakers. I remember one time my dad told me and I've shared this with you before, but it's my sermon. I want to hear it again myself. My dad told me that I had a, a great aunt in Florida that I had never met. And he, he called her an old maid school teacher. She never had married. She was a seven-day Adventist school teacher. And uh, she told my dad, she said uh, she was way up in age and she felt like she was about to go home and be with the Lord. She told my dad, I'd like to meet Jerry before I, before I go home. So dad told me about it, and, and it took us a while to arrange for us to be able to meet her. And she said to me, Jerry, the reason I wanted to meet you, my dad had, had been sending her my books and back then, you know, cassette tapes and so forth. And uh, he said, uh, she wants to meet you, and she has something to tell you. And so when I got to meet her, she said, the reason I wanted to meet you before I went home to be with the Lord is because I wanted to tell you I have studied the family tree from as far back as I can trace it. And she said, to my knowledge, there's never been a Savell who lives like you. I said, what do you mean by that? She said, well, just by the, what I've heard and what I've done in research, Nobody's ever lived like you do in this family. I said, well, why not? She said, because they didn't know what you know. Yeah. 
I thought that was interesting. I broke a barrier. Nobody had lived on my dad's side of the family like I live today because she said they didn't know what I knew. Well, the truth will set you free, praise God. When you, when you know the truth, you, you get free from limitations. Can you say amen? amen. I remember when I was, uh, uh, shortly after Carol and I married, uh, I was going to college at night. I was working, doing paint and body work in the day. And uh, a friend of mine was in the National Guard. And I wanted to serve my country, but, you know, Carol and I are married. Uh, wasn't too long after that, she became uh, expectant with Jerry Ann. And so a friend of mine who was in the National Guard, he said, uh, we've got a, they've got an opening for about 10 guys. If you want to serve, come on down to the uh, base and see if they select you. So I did, and they, they recruited me right then, and I took an oath and so forth, and I was in the National Guard. They told me that I probably would not go to basic training for about six months. But our unit got called up. This during the Vietnam War. And our unit got called up, so they sent me to basic training just a few weeks after I joined. And so while I'm in basic training, Carolyn is now expecting Jerry Ann, and uh, they sent me there to Fort Dix, New Jersey in July of 1968, and uh, Jerry Ann was born in August of 68. So I'm in basic training when Carolyn's giving birth to Jerry Ann. Now, I was not supposed to be able to come home because our unit, we were told, is probably going to get shipped out to Vietnam. Now, Carolyn's back home praying that 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 wouldn't happen. So I went through basic training, then I went through AIT, and our unit was designated a 4.2 mortar platoon. And so that's what I was trained in. So we had to go to the range and, and, and fire the 4.2 mortars. You had, to, you had to take a written exam. You had to uh, be a forward observer. Then you had to be a gunner, and you, you were tested on all of this. Well, we went through all those tests, and then afterwards, I'm, I'm in the barracks on KP duty, and I'm down in the, in the kitchen peeling potatoes. <laughs> I'm sitting on a bench with a couple other guys, and we're peeling potatoes. And uh, our sergeant came in and said, Savelle, uh, you're wanted at headquarters. I said, uh, what for, sir? He said, I don't know. They just want you there now. So I had to go up and get properly dressed, went to headquarters. They said, uh, son, did you know you've done something that hadn't been done on this base since World War II? I said, no, I didn't. I didn't know what you're talking about. They said, you maxed the written exam. You maxed the exam uh, on, in the, on, in the uh a range as a forward observer, you maxed as a gunner. This hasn't been done since 1940-something and said, uh, the company commander wants to see you and give you a, a, a special honor. And so I went to the headquarters commander and he said, uh, we've arranged for a parade in your behalf. 
and they gave me a trophy and he gave me a watch and gave me a three-day pass. And I was supposed to only go 150-mile radius. Well, I wanted to see Carolyn. I wanted to see Jerry Ann. I'd never seen him before. Jerry Ann's now three and a half months old. So I'm thinking, well, this would be my opportunity to go because we don't know if we're going to get sent to Vietnam or not. So I managed to get to Shreveport, 1,500 miles away. And Carolyn didn't even know I was coming home. I just walked in the door and surprise, here I am, you know. And uh, got to spend a couple of days with her. And then uh, I'm trying to get a flight back to, to Fort Dix, New Jersey. Couldn't get a flight. Couldn't get a flight to JFK or anywhere. So I had to go out to Barksdale Air Force Base and get on a, a troop plane and fly to McGuire Air Force Base and then take a bus down to Fort Dix, New Jersey. And by the time I got back in, I'm late. I was supposed to, I was supposed to uh, sign in not past 10 p.m. that night. Well, I didn't get there until 11.30 or so. So I'm AWOL as far as they're concerned. And so uh, when I walked in, my sergeant was at the desk. He was on duty that night. He said, Savelle, you're AWOL. I said, yes. He said, well, is she pretty? I said, she's beautiful. He said, well, I've been seeing the pictures that your wife's been sending you in the locker. And uh, he said, I knew you'd probably go home and see your little girl. He said, uh, I had some children born while I was on active duty and I did the same thing, go to bed. <laughs> so I didn't know that I had broken a barrier. I didn't know that I had maxed the exams. Well, you know, Maxing the exams or breaking barriers, I might say, is rewarding. I got a trophy, I got a parade, I got a watch, and I got a three-day pass. Amen. Amen. Just from, you know, maxing the exams. Well, you know, once, once you, you break a barrier and you experience the rewards of it, you want to do it again. Well, I've been breaking barriers ever since I've been a believer now. I was not supposed to be this far. Amen. I was not supposed to experience what I've experienced. And particularly five years ago when I had that stroke, they said, it's done, boy, you over. You'll never be normal again. But God... <laughs> Amen. But God, as far as he's concerned, I haven't finished breaking barriers yet. Amen. We're called to break barriers. We're, we're called to be different. We're called to go higher than the norm. Amen. Amen. So read the stories in the Bible of people who became stalwart. Hebrews 11, that's what that chapter's for, is to inspire your faith. Watching people that in the natural were just like you and me, but they were given a promise and they were determined to fight for it. They were determined to go for it, no matter how impossible it might seem. And that's the example that God has given us 
by giving us these stories of these people. And then once again, you can even, you can even get inspired by reading uh, stories about secular people that just would not accept the status quo. Amen. So once again, when we follow after the footsteps or the steps of faith of our father Abraham, then that means that we can reach a place where there's no more limits and no more boundaries. And that's where God wants to take each and every one of us. Amen. So settle it in your heart once and for all that this is not where I want to remain. There's something better. There's something higher. There's something gooder. (laughs) Are you ready to remove lack and break free from financial bondage? It's time to move to a higher level of God's blessing and goodness. Today's faith-filled offer, Maximizing Your Harvest Special Package, contains Jerry Savelle's inspiring book, Life of Faith, his mini-book, Sowing in Famine, and his eye-opening three-part audio series, Maximizing Your Harvest. Learn the keys to receiving the most out of your sowing and discover how God has plans to prosper you. In this package, Jerry teaches how to hold fast to your faith, how to identify financial bondage, how to remove lack, and what produces maximum blessing. Don't delay. Call or go online now to jerrysavelle.org and request your copy of the Maximizing Your Harvest special package. Don't just look at your seed. Look at what your seed can produce. Now is the time to trust God's Word and watch your seed produce a maximum harvest. Have you been blessed by the lesson today? If so, why don't you take just a few moments and contact our ministry and let us know how that these lessons have been an inspiration to your life. You know, it's our desire to bless you and to inspire you and to teach you how to become the winner in life that God has called you to be. And it all hinges on learning to live the life of faith. You know, the Bible says that this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. I want to encourage you because this will be the last time we'll make this offer for these special resources. I want to encourage you to place your order today. My book entitled Sowing in Famine. If you're experiencing a famine in your finances, this is the book that you need to read because I'm telling you, it's got some powerful truths in it that people have learned all over the world and praise God, God always honors his word. And if you will learn how to be faithful in your sowing, no matter what the situation is, no matter what your conditions are, God promises you will always reap an abundant harvest. Then also my book entitled The Life of Faith. This is a book that I wrote a few years ago that has principles in it that I've learned over the years on how to live a very successful life of faith. If it works for me, it'll work for you because God is no respecter of persons. And then finally, three CDs on maximizing your harvest. The Bible talks about 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. 100-fold represents maximum. It represents God's best. And this three CD series will teach you how to experience God's best in your harvest. And I believe once you get this in your, in the mail, you're not going to want to put it down. You're going to listen to it over and over again. And the good thing is God always honors his word. You act on what you hear and God will make it happen for you. Amen. So go to jerrysavelle.org for all the ordering information 
or you can see it on your screen right now. And as soon as we receive your order, we'll send it to you through the mail. And I know that it'll be a blessing to you. Thanks again for joining us. We'll begin a brand new series next week. Don't forget to be uh, involved in these new lessons. And I know they'll be a great blessing to your life. See you next week. God bless you. And remember, your faith will overcome the world.